bless the next few moments as we study your word. Father, I pray that you would give me the uh, say, Lord, as I, Father, I pray that you would help me to have clarity of mind. Lord, I pray that you would guide the my words, Lord, that we might be instructed from the Bible, that we might learn, Lord, not just so that we can say we learned something, not just so that we can say we were in church, but, Father, that it might change our lives. We love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Matthew chapter 14. Remember, last week we dealt with the first uh, 12, 13 verses of Matthew, and we talked about Herod and John the Baptist and all those things. Tonight we're going to just continue on as we deal with a very famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. And, if, and the, the story kind of, just to get a little bit of the context, look at verse 13. Uh, I just want to give you a few thoughts in regards to this story and a few applications that we can learn tonight. And we'll be on our way. In verse 13, the Bible says, When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And I want you to understand, just to get kind of the context. If you remember, Jesus just heard about the death of John the Baptist. Uh, If you compare the story and the other Gospels, parallel passages, and we'll go back to John a little bit. Actually, just go to John chapter 6 real quickly. Keep your finger there, Matthew 14. Go to John 6. This story is actually found in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're going to compare a few things with John. But if if you compare with the other Gospels, you'll know that Jesus and his disciples were kind of burnt out. They needed a break. They needed a, a, a time of rest. And Jesus decided this would be a good time. And they went into John chapter 6. Keep your finger there in John 6 or your bulletin or a bookmark or something. But uh, look at Matthew 14, 13. I just want you to see this wording. It says, when Jesus had heard of it, he departed thence by ship. I want you to notice this. Into a desert place. Now the word desert there is not the word that we think of when we think of desert. When we think of a desert, we think of like an area with sand, you know, and little rainfall. But the, the word desert there means a deserted place. And, and I'd like you to look at, uh, look at verse 19 there in Matthew chapter 14. And I want you to notice in verse 19 it says, And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. You see that? So they were to sit down on the grass. If you go to John chapter 6, look at verse number 10. John chapter 6 and verse 10. The Bible says, And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that men sat down and number about 5,000. Sometimes people try to make a very weak attempt to try to find a contradiction in Scripture, and they'll say, well, see, the Bible says they were in a desert place, and then there was much grass there, and that's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. The word desert means a deserted or uninhabited place. They went, they, they want a break. They're kind of looking for a little bit of a rest. They want a day off a vacation, so they go to an area that is deserted. There's not anybody living there, but there's a lot of grass there, so it's not a desert in the sense that you and I would think of it. Go back to Matthew 14, look at verse 13. Keep your finger there in John 6 or something, because we're going to be going back and forth. But look at Matthew 14, verse 13. So Jesus and his disciples find themselves in an uninhabited place, a deserted place, a place where nobody lives. They were trying to get away from the crowd. They're trying to get a little bit of break. Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert uh, place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the city. So Jesus decides, hey guys, we need a little bit of time. Uh, We need a break. We've been working pretty hard. We need to take a rest. Let's take some time to to, to have a break. Let's go to this deserted place. Let's go to this uninhabited place. We'll be alone. We'll be able to relax. The people heard of it. They followed him on foot out of the cities. Verse 14. 
And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. Now, they get there, so they're supposed to be there kind of on vacation, right? And when they get there, the people follow them. And the Bible says, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And He healed their sick. So these people show up and Jesus pretty much decides, okay guys, vacation's over. I know it didn't last very long, but people have need and we're going to help them. We're going to minister to them. We're going to, you know, maybe it means you got to skip a day off every once in a while, but we want to help people when they need help. Now, because of this, Jesus begins to heal the sick. He begins to preach to them, I'm sure. He begins to talk to them. The day draws nigh to the end. Look at verse 15. It says, And when it was evening, so they've been there all day, His disciples came to Him saying, This is a desert place. So they're saying, This is a deserted place. This is an uninhabited place. And the time is now past. This is what they're saying. They're saying, This is a deserted place. And it's late, Jesus. Okay, there's nobody here. There's no taco trucks. There's no McDonald's drive-thru. Okay? And they said, Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. The word victuals there means food or a meal. So they're saying, Hey, Jesus, we're in an uninhabited place. We're in a deserted place. The time is now past. They're saying it's late. The people are hungry. Send them away so that they can buy themselves some food. And the first thing, I, the first thought I'd like you to just bring to your attention in regards to the story, the first thing we see here is the need. The need is that the people were hungry. They'd been there all day, and of course, they're, they're hungry, and there is a need to feed the people. Look at verse 21. I want you to notice in verse 21 how many people there were. The Bible says and they that had eaten were about, notice this, 5,000 men, okay? Now, we usually call this the feeding of 5,000, but you got to understand. The Bible says there was 5,000 men, notice this wording, beside women and children. So, it says, here's what they're saying. Not counting the women and not counting the children, there was 5,000 men. So, what that tells us is that there was also women and children there. Now, we don't know how many women and children there were. They just decided, let's count the men. And there was 5,000 men there. But, you know, let's say there was one woman for every man. And there, there might have been more. I mean, usually in a church service, you have more women than you've got men. But let's just say that there was one woman for every man. And let's just say that there was two children for every woman. Now, some women are going to have four children. Some women are going to have one child. Some women are going to have six child. But let's just say on average, just, just to kind of play it safe. Let's say there was one woman for every man and two children for every woman. And there, was, there could have very easily been 20,000 people that were hungry. And that was a big need. There was an enormous number of people to feed. Go back to John chapter 6. There was a huge need, and, and usually, I, I want you to understand, oftentimes Jesus will uh, bring up to your attention a need or a question of something that almost seems impossible, something that you, you look at it and you think, well, I can't do that. I can't accomplish that. You want us to feed how many people? And Jesus does this oftentimes, not because He expects you to do it, or at least He doesn't expect you to do it on your own, but to test us, or to try us, or to see how we're going to react. Are you there in John chapter 6, look at verse 5. John chapter 6 and 5 says, When Jesus then lifted up His eyes and saw the great company come unto Him, He says unto Philip, so notice, He picks out Philip, one of His Bibles, and He asks Philip a question. He says, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? He's saying, Where are we going to get the bread to feed these 5,000 men, beside women and children, this group of 20,000, I mean, there might have been 30,000 people there, we don't know, but I mean, a huge, enormous crowd to feed, look at verse 6, and this he said to prove him, do you see that? Jesus asked Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, notice, for he himself knew what he would do, you got to understand this, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. 
Nothing catches him off guard. He already has a plan. But he asked Philip, he said, well, where are we going to get the bread to feed these people? And he's just proving Philip. He's just testing him. He's trying him. He's, uh, he wants to see, how are you going to react? Look at verse 7. Philip answered him. Now notice what Philip answered. Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That every one of them may take a look. Jesus asked Philip to prove him, because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip asked Jesus to prove him. He said, he said, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Philip's response is, it's impossible, Jesus. He says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Now, I want you to remember that term, okay? Penny worth. 200 penny worth. Go back to Matthew, but go to uh, chapter number 20 and verse 2. We'll get to Matthew 20 later on in our Matthew series, but I just want you to see something out of Matthew 20 and verse 2. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, we have a parable of a man who's hiring laborers to work in his vineyard. And we'll get to that uh, parable later on, in, on on Wednesday night. But I just want you to see Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2. And the Bible says, And when he had agreed with the laborers, notice, for a penny a day. Okay, so a penny in the Bible is not like our penny today. It says, when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So a penny in the Bible was one day's wages for a laborer. You understand that? And Philip says, 200 penny worth is not enough to feed this ginormous crowd, Jesus. Now, you know, just kind of think with me for a second, okay? If a penny is what you pay a, a laborer, someone that's out in the field working, you know, according to Matthew 20, verse 20. You know, in our day's wages, I, I don't know, but let's just say that somebody who works for eight hours out in the field or doing manual labor, let's say that they get $120 a day. Okay, 200 penny worth would be like $24,000. And Philip is saying to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed these people? And Philip says, if, if we had $24,000, we wouldn't have enough to give these people a little bit of fruit. And what I want you to understand is that the Bible is highlighting for us the impossibility of feeding these people. They do not have the resources. They do not have the money. They don't have what they need. To be able to feed them. And you need to understand this. You're there in Matthew chapter 20. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. I know we were already in Matthew 9. But I want you to understand what the story pictures. The fact that we have been uh, 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 given this story of feeding the 5,000. It's an illustration. Because here you got 5,000 men. Beside women and children. You've got maybe 20,000. Maybe 25,000. Maybe 30,000 people that need to be fed. And they said, where are we going to feed these people? And he says, well, look, if we have $24,000, we're going to feed all these people. We're going to give them a little bit. So Jesus sent these people home. They need to go buy their own food. And, and, and the, the task was enormous. And I want you to understand, this story pictures the fact that we, you and I, have been given an impossible task. Now, I, I use the word impossible loosely because it's impossible for you and me. And you say, well, what is the impossible task that we've been given? Not to feed the 5,000, that's just the illustration. But you got to understand, there are people that are spiritually hungry. And we've been given the task of feeding those people. And it's an enormous task. Are you there in Matthew 9? Look at verse 36. I believe this is what the story is about. Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Do you see the similarities between Matthew 9 and Matthew 14? Is that not what Jesus said in Matthew 14 when he saw the people? He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. Does this not describe our society today? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 
And if you were to go out today into a huge crowd, you were to go out today to the state fair and just watch people, you would watch people that are fainting and they're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And they might have a smile on their face and they might seem like they're having fun, but, in, but inside they're hungry. And they're lost. And they're just wandering in life, looking for something. Look at verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, notice what Jesus said, he said, The harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are few. Here's what he's saying. We've been given a huge task. It's almost an impossible task. And the need is that many people need to be fed spiritually. There are many people that need to be saved. There are many people that are looking for something and searching for something. And they're fainting at something. And they're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And the, 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 there's a huge need. And I want you to understand, the need is big. 200 penny worth would not be enough to feed this crowd. And that's the task that you and I look at when we look at our community and our cities and our nations. And we look at the people that need to hear the gospel. We can look at it and say, man, how are we going to do this? Now you got to understand, Jesus never asked a question without already having the answer. And Jesus already has the answer. The first thing we saw was there was a need. What was the need? Many people need to be fed. Many people need to be saved. But I want you to see the solution to the need. There's a solution to the need. Go back to Matthew 14. The solution to the need, and this may be uh, discouraging to you, but you need to see it. Is it a good? There's a plan. Yeah, there's a plan. To reach the masses. There's a plan to reach the masses. There's a plan to reach the world, Pastor. You're telling me there's a plan to reach the world. There's a solution to the need. There's a huge need. I, I think we would all agree. There's a need. But, but what's the plan? What's the solution? Here's the solution. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 14, 16. But Jesus said unto them. Notice what He says to the disciples. He says, they need not depart. Because remember, they said, hey, just send them away. Let them take care of them on their own. They're not my problem. And Jesus says, they need not depart. Notice what He says. Give, I love this word, ye them to eat. Say, what's the solution? It's you. You're the solution. Our world has a great need, but God has a solution. He asked a question already knowing what He would do. And He said, well, who's going to feed all these? Who's going to get all these people saved? Uh, you know, it's you. Amen. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. It is our job to go. See, He, he, he says, well, who's going to feed all these people? And, and, and Jesus looks at the disciples and He says, well, you're going to feed them. He says, they need not depart, give ye them to you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just show you something real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, if there's one thing I could get into the heart of, of believers is this. The number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven top reason you and I are on this earth is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't understand this Christianity that wants to come to church and hear preaching and then never tell anybody about it. I don't understand, I don't understand where you get that from. I don't understand if you read your Bible. I mean, every time I open my Bible, I see this. Let's get people saved. You say, well, is that the only thing? It's not the only thing, but it's the main thing. And everything else comes alongside to pursue that idea of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 says this, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and, notice this, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's a huge need in this country. I know there is. There's a lot of people out there that are lost and going to hell. I know there are. Well, how, well, how are we going to do it? You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're the solution to the need. Now, here's the problem. 
when you and when I am the solution to the need, there's obviously a problem with the solution. There is a problem. What's the problem? Go back to Matthew 14. Look at verse 17. They had a problem. They said, we got to feed all these people, Jesus. Can you send them home? He said, no, they don't need to go home. You feed them. They said, well, 200 penny worth is not enough to feed these people. He said, well, I want you to feed them. So what do you have to feed them? Their response was, Matthew 14, 17, and they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. They said, Jesus, this is all we got, five loaves and two. Look, that's not enough to feed the 12 disciples. And that wasn't even the food the disciples brought. Go, go back to John chapter 6, look at verse 9. John chapter 6, verse 9. John chapter 6 and verse 9, the Bible says there is a lad here. So they find a little kid, they took his lunch. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two... Now, I like how the Bible describes two small fishes. I mean, these weren't big salmon. You know, he's got, two, he's got five barley loaves, two small fishes. And here's the question that the disciples ask. They say, but what are these among so many? And honestly, if you were honest... You would admit, and I, I'll admit, that I've asked that question. There's been times when I've been out knocking on doors. And, you know, I'll spend three hours knocking on doors, and it's hot. And then I get back to my car, and I'll get out my big map of the area that we're supposed to be canvassing. And, you know, I spend three hours, three and a half hours knocking on doors. I'm hot, I'm sweaty. And then I, I highlight just a little tiny street like this. <laughs> and the map's like this big. And I ask myself, what, what am I even doing? I mean, what are these among so many? Can we even do this? This is what the disciples were asking. They're saying, Jesus, you want to feed all these people? Look, this is all we got. We, we stole the lunch from a little kid over there, and all he had was five barley loaves and two small fishes. How are we supposed to feed all these people? How are we supposed to get this done? They said, what are these among so many? And see, this is, this is the idea of the gospel. This is the task that we've been given. Can you go back to Matthew 9? Look at verse 36 again. Just keep your finger there. But when Jesus saw the multitude, He was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then say the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. But here's the problem. The laborers are few. Say, what, what, what do we have to feed the people? Well, we've got two barley loaves and two, uh, five barley loaves and two small fishes. And here's the problem. It's not enough. There's a need. An enormous crowd needs to be fed. There are people that need to hear the gospel. And there's a solution. It's you. Go ye. But here's the problem with the solution. It's not enough. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. You're not enough. I'm not enough. We are like five barley loaves and two small fishes compared to a group of 20,000 people that are all hungry. Cannot accomplish the task. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Well, that's discouraging. See, it's not discouraging because if if you read the Bible, you'll understand that God is always using that which is not enough. The Bible says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, you've got to understand, God is in the business of the impossible. And sometimes people say to me, they say, well, I can't can't be used of God to witness to somebody. Look, they say, well, I I stutter and I don't don't know where to go and I get nervous and I shake. And look, if if you are the least likely person to be successful at serving Jesus, you are the most likely person to be used in a minute. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, for ye see your calling, brethren. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that, notice this, not many wise. Now that's not what you and I would be looking for. You and I would be looking for the wise. But God says, when I call, when I'm looking,
talking to you, somebody. He's like, he's like I don't, I, I, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So you got to understand, God is in the business of feeding thousands with five barley loaves and two small fishes. I remember when we used to, when we started the church and we were... Uh, we were meeting in our house. We first year and a half of our church. We were meeting in our house. I would uh, stand out, you know, uh, at the front door or by the window, you know, with a hand of stack of bulletins. I still do that from time to time, and you know, try to greet people as they would come in. And it didn't happen every Sunday, but but it, it, it happened a lot. You know, where you kind of see a car kind of drive by. And then they'd stop in front of our church, and you could tell that they were like looking at an invitation, or they were looking at their GPS, and they'd look at our house, and they'd look at the GPS, and they'd look at our house. They kind of shake their head and drive off. And you know, people would say to us like, "You guys are starting a church in a house? Are you crazy? You can you can't succeed like that. That's foolish. That's dumb. That's not impressive. That's not you, God's not going to bless us." But here's the thing: God blesses the foolish, and God blesses the inadequate. See, not, not many wise are called. Not many mighty. Not many people say, well, you guys don't have a lot of resources. Yeah, but God uses where, God moves where there are no resources. See, God is not looking. You've got to understand this. God is not looking for great men to use. God's looking for you. God's looking for me. See, we, we saw the need. Many people need to be saved. We saw the solution to the need. God has chosen you. And we saw that there's a problem with the solution... Because you are the solution, and because I am the solution, there's a problem with that solution, and the fact that we are very weak. We are not enough. We are like five barley loaves and two small fishes trying to feed a crowd of 20,000 plus people. But see, Jesus never asked a question without already having the answer. And when they said, well, Jesus, we have five barley loaves and two small fishes. What are these among so many? I want you to notice the response. Go back to Matthew 14, look at verse 18. And you understand, there is a solution. See, here's where we like to stop. We, we say, there's a need. And then a preacher like me says, well, there's a solution to the need. And then you ask, well, what's the solution? And I say, you're the solution to go reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you look at yourself and you say, well, I'm inadequate. You look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not well trained. You look at yourself and you say, well, I'm shy. You look at yourself and you say, well, I don't have the time. Well, you look at yourself and you say, well, I just, I'm not able to do it. And then, and then that's where most of us stop. We say, well, well the, the solution was the bad solution. Jesus, you had a bad idea. I mean, you need to really plan this out. You're going to use me. But see, there is a solution to the problem with the solution. There is a solution to your problem because you're the solution. What's the solution? Look at what Jesus did. Matthew 14, verse 18. And he said, they said, well, we, we got two high bar loaves and two small fishes. Now, here's what they expected. When they said that to Jesus, they expected to say, okay, guys, you're right. Just send them back home. We can't do anything with that. Good night. But he responds, and here's what he says. He said, bring them hither to me. They said, this is all we got, Jesus. He said, well, give it to me. And you don't understand, Jesus. This is all we have. Okay, let me have it. So you can understand this. I, 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 I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. You, you are the solution. The problem.
problem that we have in this world. But you are a problem. Because you're not enough. You're lazy. You don't read your Bible. I'm not, I mean, we're lazy. We don't read our Bibles. We're inconsistent. We have a lack of character. And I look at us and I say, how are you going to do what God wants us to do? But see, God does not expect you to do it on your own. Here's what God expects, though. Give yourself to Him. See, you say, well, why does He give us a story? Because here's what you can understand. I think that we think of, we think a little too highly of ourselves sometimes. See, you, you think you're a steak dinner when Jesus only sees five barley loaves and two small fishes. And see, we, we say, well, I, I like Jesus, but I mean, I'm not going to give him all my lunch. See, Jesus, you understand? I'm too busy. Too busy to do what? Share the gospel with somebody? Who's going to die and go to hell? Well, I'm, I'm, too busy to, I'm, I'm too busy to be used. Why? What, what's so important about your life? Why can others do it and not you? What's so special about you that you're not able to go? Well, I'm shy. That's just pride. Well, I don't have the time. That's just pride. You, look, last I checked, we all have 24 hours in the day. Maybe you just get up earlier or quit staying up late on Facebook and shut off the computer and shut off the YouTube and shut off the television and just get to bed and wake up, read your Bible, go soul winning. See, the truth of the matter is, you are the solution. There is no other solution. There is no other plan. There is no plan B. You are it. Your plan A. You say, well, I've got a problem. I know. But here's the solution to the problem. Give yourself completely to God. And here's what you got to say. It's easy to give yourself to God when you realize that all you are is five barley loaves and two small pieces. You're not a steak dinner. You're not a lobster buffet. You're not, a, you're, you're not hometown buffet, and you're dead sure not Golden Corral. When you get the right view of yourself, and you realize, I'm just foolish, I'm just, I'm inadequate. See, when you realize, I don't have anything of value in and of myself, it's easy to just give yourself completely to God. But you know why we hold back? Because we think a little too highly of ourselves. Let me tell you something, you are a sinner saved by grace. You deserve to die and go to hell. Because Jesus Christ saved you, and somebody shared that with you. God says, bring it hither to me. But it's not enough. I just give it to me. But Jesus, you don't understand. When we give it to you, then we won't be. Just give, he says, give it to me. Bring them hither to me. So you understand, when you give yourself completely to God, He's going to be able to multiply you. He's going to be able to use you. He's going to be able to do something with it. Now notice, when they gave Him the lunch, I want you to notice what He did with it. Matthew 14, look at verse 19. Matthew 14, 19. And He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, He blessed. Now, I, I, this is another little sermon I just want to point out to you. It's interesting that it says He blessed. When we pray for our food, what do we say? What do we say? God bless this food. Right? Do I bless the food? No, I ask God to bless it. Because God's the one that blesses. But Jesus, notice, He didn't ask God to bless it. He blessed it. That's just a good little, you know, uh, Jesus is God. <laughs> you always want to say, Jesus isn't God. You know, people today, there's an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, if He's not God, why is He blessing the food? Just, just a thought. And he commanded Moses to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. Now here's a miracle. They give him the five loaves, and they give him the two fishes, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. And he keeps breaking it. Till everyone's fed. You know what will happen to you? When you quit holding back, when you quit thinking so highly of yourself, when you quit thinking you're a steak dinner, when all you are is a bunch of cold tools, you finally got to the place where you say, you know what, I'm just going to put God first in my life. I'm going to let Him control every. I'm just going to give it to Him. It's not enough. I know it's not enough. 
Jesus, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but here you go. Here's what he does with that. He blesses it. Now, we like that. I'm not going to deal too much on the blessing. I preached a five-week series of blessings. He blesses it. But here's what you need to understand, and here's what we don't like. He breaks it. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18, just real quickly. I want you to understand this. You cannot be used of God. You cannot be used of God until you have completely yielded yourself to God. I didn't say 70%. I didn't say 75%. I didn't say 90%. I said 100%. You gave yourself completely to Him. You said, here's all I have. Here's all I can offer God. Here you go. And you cannot be used of God until you've given yourself completely to Him. And then He begins to do something very painful. He begins to break are you there in Jeremiah 18? Let me show you this in a different illustration. In Jeremiah 18 verse 1. The Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down. And by the way, the potter's house, you're at it. This is the potter's house. Why, well, how do you know the church is the potter's house? Because it says, Go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Where do you hear the words of God? At the potter's house. Verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house. That's a good idea. God tells you to get down to the potter's house, you should get there. And behold, notice, behold, he wrought a work. Okay, this is you. You understand? He's working on you, the potter. You understand what a potter is? Takes a, a, a clay and, and puts it on a, a wheel to spin it, and he begins to mold that piece of clay to what he desires it to be, not what the clay desires it to be. And he begins to mold. Now notice, verse, verse uh, 3. And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. That's you. He's working on you. He's molding you. And he's trying to get you to be conformed. See, right now you're conformed to this world. He's trying to get you to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at verse 4. And the vessel that he made, here's the problem. Here's the problem with the solution. The vessel that he made of clay was marred. In the hand of the potter. The word marred means to be disfigured or to be lessened in quality. See, here's the thing. When you come to God... And you get on that wheel. And you say, God, begin to mold me. God, begin to use me. Here's a problem. You have problems. You're marred. You're disfigured. See, I'm not talking about you physically. I'm saying, in your spirit, see, you were made in the image of God. But because of sin, you don't have that image anymore. There's a disfigured. And I want you to understand. He says, the vessel was... Uh, that was made of clay was marred. I want you to notice this term, the, the terminology. It was marred in the hand of the potter, not by the hand of the potter. Do you see that? It wasn't the potter that marred you. He, he, you were just marred in his hand. So, here's what he did, because you're disfigured. So, he made it again another vessel. He said, this one's not going to work, so I'm going to make this one a transformation, a new creature, another vessel. Now here's the problem, okay? So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. But here, here's what you understand. And it's not spelled out there, but go, go to Jeremiah 31. It's not spelled out there, but here's what you understand. To take a vessel that's marred, and to make it a new creature, you've got to break down the old vessel. See, people come to church and they say, I want a new life. I want a transformed life. I want to be a new creature in Christ. But what you don't realize is that to be a new creature, you've got to break down the old creature. To be a new vessel, you've got to break down the old vessel. Jeremiah 31, 28 says, And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them. Notice, notice what, what he says to Jeremiah. He says, To pluck up and to break down, to throw down and to destroy and to afflict. Notice, 
so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. See, we want the building and we want the planting. But before you get to the building and before you get to the building, you have to get to the pluck up and the breakdown and the throw down and the destroy and the afflict. You understand that? That's the order. And there's usually way more of the negative than there is the positive. Say, I want to be used of God. I'm going to break you. I'm going to tear you apart. Because you got problems. And see, you in and of yourself cannot be used of God. So he says, I'm going to have to take you and I'm going to have to change you. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Look at verse 18. Psalm 34 and verse 18. We ought to hear at 8.15, Lord willing, I'll be done preaching. Right, just stick with me and I just want to show you this and we'll, we'll be done. Psalm 34.18, the Bible says, The Lord is nigh. Psalm 34.18, the Lord is nigh. The word nigh means near. The Lord is near. Isn't that good? The Lord is nigh. Don't we all want that? The Lord to be close to me. Well, notice this. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite. The word contrite means a remorseful or a, a regretted spirit. Go to Psalm 51, look at verse 17. Psalm 51 and verse 17. Psalm 51 and verse 17, the Bible says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You say, I, I want to be a, a living sacrifice to God. Okay, well, you got to get broke down first. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Notice this, a broken and a contrite heart. Can I just... Can I, and, and uh, don't answer this out loud. Just ask yourself this. When was the last time you were remorseful? Or regretted? When was the last time you wept over your sin? The God created you to be a certain thing. And sin has marred you. It's disfigured you. It's made you... Un- God says, when you allow me to break you down and you get contrite, it's not a joke. It's not just funny. It's not just Pastor Jimenez, you know, he's a little salas and he's kind of old-fashioned and I don't know, his mom must have dropped him and I don't understand what his problem is, he's always mad about something. It's not just, when you realize that it's sin and God hates it, God says when you allow him to break you down and you come to him contrite, remorseful, because that's the sacrifice I'm looking for. I don't need a steak dinner, he said, give me the fish, I'll break it. Give me the bread, I'll break it. Just let me break it, let me bless it, and I can use it. Go to Psalm 139, look at verse 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. See, you, you say, well, there's, there's a big need. I know there's a big need. Well, what's the solution? You're the solution. Well, there's a problem with the solution. I know, I, I know you. <laughs> well, how are we going to do this? You've got to give yourself completely to God. That, that's the only way it's going to work. You've got to give yourself completely to God. There's no other way to do it. You've got to give yourself completely to God. And when you do, I'm just, I'm just warning you. When you do, He's going to bless you. That's a good thing. But He's going to break you. That's going to hurt. Psalm 139, 23, the Bible says, Search me, O God. I want you to see this verse. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You gotta have guts to pray this prayer. Look at verse 24. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the why in the way everlasting. See, you gotta understand. See, I can put up a show for you, and you can put up a show for me. I can put on my little tie and my iron white shirt, polished shoes. I can look real spiritual, and you can look real spiritual. I can say the spiritual things, and you can say the spiritual things, and we can say amen after everything. See, God knows your heart. God knows your thoughts. Here's a question. So, somebody said this. It has not yet been seen what a man could do if he gave himself completely to God. I'm afraid that we may never see that. 
because we just think a little too highly of ourselves. See, we saw the need. Many people need to be saved. And we saw the solution to the need. It's you. And we saw the problem to the solution, which is you're not enough, I'm not enough. And we saw the solution to the problem with the solution, which is to give yourself completely to God and let Him bless you and let Him break you. And see, what happens with that, go back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. If we completely give ourselves to God, the job can get done. Matthew 14, 20, notice what the Bible says. They did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. They started off with a need. How are we going to feed all these people? They saw the solution. It wasn't enough. So you guys say, I'm, I'm the solution. You're the solution. There, there is a world that is dying and going to hell that needs to hear the gospel. And, and, if, and if, look, the, the Mormons aren't going to preach it to them. The Catholics aren't going to preach it to them. The Jehovah's Witnesses aren't going to preach it to them. If there is anyone that's going to go into the city of Sacramento and preach the gospel, it's you. There's no one else. The Calvary's not on its way. It's you. There's a problem with you. There's a problem with me. God says, I can fix that problem if you just give yourself complete. If you just, he says, give, give it to me. I guess the question I have for you is, have you ever gone to that place? Or will you ever get to the place where you say, you know what? No holding back. I'm not, I'm not, see, Jesus, it wouldn't have worked if they would have said, well, Jesus, here's the thing. Let me give you three barley loaves and one fish. And let me keep just a little bit of it just in case it doesn't work out. See, that's, God doesn't work. He's, he's 100% either 100% in or not in at all. He said, I would thou were cold or hot. But because thou art lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. See, the solution to the problem is this. Give yourself completely to God. Let Him bless you. Let Him break you down. And He will multiply you. And the job will get done. And not only will the job get done. I mean, look at Matthew 14. Look at verse 28. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. They started with five barley loaves, two small fishes. They ended after everybody ate. So they were completely full. They ended with 12 baskets full. See, the Bible says that God can do above all that ye can ask or think. See, God can, God can do more with you than you can do with you. I know you're successful. I know you're a steak dinner. I know you, I mean, you are great. And you, man, if I could just get out there, you could just see what I could do. But you know that God can do more with you than you can do with you? Here's all he needs to give yourself completely to him. Bless you. Let him break you. Let him multiply you. And he will take care of the rest. And there will be enough Leftovers. I mean, you could, I mean, I don't know. You could eat twelve baskets full. That's a lot of food. Verse twenty-one. And they had eaten. They had, they had eaten. Were about five thousand men, beside women and children. Here's here, here's the the application. Here's the question. Would to God that there would be one person in this room that would say, you know what? I, I'm gonna quit holding back. Quit the excuses. I realize who I am. I realize where I am. I realize what God can do with me. But I'm just gonna go ahead and say, here you go, God. Whatever you're going to do with what I give you, I'm okay with that. But see, that will never happen while you have this mentality that I'm going to go this far, Sunday morning, okay, Wednesday night, every once in a while. But, but you know, I mean, every day the Bible reading, every day the prayer, the tithing, the soul, I mean, really, I'm not, that's too much. When you have that mentality, you've not just given yourself completely. And the only reason we do that, I mean, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you are a sinner that deserves to burn in hell for eternity. That's the truth. Not as cool as you think you are. I'm not. 
And the greatest thing I can do with my life is just give it to God and say, I made a mess of this. It's marred. It's destroyed. It's disappeared. Nobody can use this. Can you just do it? Yeah, if you give it to me, I'll break it down and I'll make something great out of it. It'll look just like my son. Bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that you want to use us. Father, if nobody in this room is even listening to anything I'm saying, Father, I pray you would help me to realize that you want to use me. I ask that you would help me to come to the place I completely give myself to you. When I look at me, I just can't help but ask, what are these among so many? Father, help us to realize a proper perspective of our life. There is nothing that I have, there is nothing that I own, there is nothing that I do that is more important than allowing you to have. Father, help me to realize that. And I, to myself, offer my life to you. Father, we love you. In precious name, my friend. Amen. Let's take our seat.